As Landon mentioned earlier, we're in a series on Sunday mornings talking about the church, what the church is. That's what we're trying to answer uh, for the next few weeks as we're trying to look at what the church is. Uh, we realize that it's not a building. It's not 4020 East University that makes up Emmanuel Baptist Church, this building that we come and corporately gather together to worship in, but it's the, the members that attend here at Emmanuel that make up what we know as the church. We've looked at several different aspects of what that means already. Um, but this morning our passage is going to be once again from the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we talked about uh, a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians, we were in chapter 10 or 12 I believe, but let me give you a, a brief overview of where we're headed and what Paul is doing as he uh, wants to address the church in Corinth um, as we get some context of where Paul is coming from and where we're headed this morning. First of all, Paul planted the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey, 51, or 50 to 51 AD. You can find this in Acts chapter 18. Paul would have been the planting pastor of the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was an amazing city. You can actually visit uh, some of the ruins uh, from uh, Corinth. You can go there and see some of the ruins of the city. But it was an amazing city. It was a port city. It was a very wealthy city. Um, and it was a very large city for the day. It would have been a place that many people traveled to, to do commerce, to do trade. Uh, it would have been a very prosperous city. Uh, I stumbled across an artist's rendition of what they thought the city of Corinth might have looked like back in the day. But you can see, it would have been a very beautiful place. It would have been a place that a lot of people would have loved to go uh, to see and be a part of. To give you some bearing on uh, this missionary journey that Paul was on, I know this map is a little hard to see, but you'll see Paul's first missionary journey is marked in blue on this map. Okay, It's his first missionary journey, and he would have started in Antioch, which is marked with a yellow star. Um, he would have... Um, this would have been the exact same place he would have started when he went on his second missionary journey, uh, which is marked in purple. Uh, Paul thought that he would spend the majority of his time in modern day, what we would say is Turkey, but it was in the uh, Roman providence of Asia. Uh, but God had different plans for him. So God continued uh, to, to lead him and redirect him. So he went across the Aegean Sea, you can see there on the map, where he would end up in Philippi. And from Philippi, he would travel to Thessalonica. From Thessalonica, he would head to Berea. And from Berea, he would go to Athens. And then at that point, he would drop down to Corinth. And here, while he's here in Corinth in this time, he would have started the church in Corinth. And we'll see that he makes his journey back over to Antioch. And that was his second missionary journey. Next, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians around 54, 55 AD after receiving a troubling report uh, about the church in Corinth. You see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There was a lady by the name of Chloe, and Chloe had some friends. And we really don't know who Chloe is. We really don't know who her friends were. But they send a report to Paul that there are some issues that are happening within the church, some issues that were troubling to them. Uh, and we all, I think Landon mentioned this when he talked about Chloe a few weeks back. We all know Chloe's within the church. We all know those church members 
who know all the gossip about everything, and they're going to tell everyone else about that. So these ladies wrote to Paul about some issues that had come up in, within the church. And as we're going to see in chapter 7, which is the verse uh, immediately following what we're going to read this morning, um, Paul is going to address some questions that the church, having written a letter to Paul, uh, he was going to address some of these issues uh, that the church had about some issues that were going on within the church. And in verse ch chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So at some point, some members of the church realized there's things going on within the church that aren't okay. And they're going to write to Paul and say, listen, there's some things that are happening and we have questions about it. And that's where Paul will begin to answer these questions in these letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, to this church. Questions about marriage. Questions about the Lord's Supper. Questions about spiritual gifts. Uh, and in chapter 7, he will begin to answer these questions. Um, the next point here, Paul addressed several sins that plagued the church in Corinth. One of the reasons why he's writing this letter to this church is because of the, some sins that have begun to creep into the church that were very prominent, that were very open, and uh, as we're going to see this morning, things that should not have been taking place. I don't want us to look at the church in Corinth, and I don't want us to think about the church that we are in today, or the church as a whole today, and think that the issues that we're facing the church in Corinth are any different than the issues that we're facing here today. Now, I know that what we're about to read about, and some of the issues, if you read just before the passage that we're going to read in chapter 6, that he's dealing with some very open sin within the church. I'm talking about church members who were openly uh, sleeping with prostitutes uh, in the temple of Aphrodite, some very open, grotesque things that as you think about who those who would be members of the church, things that they should not be partaking in. Now, I'm not saying that uh, we have any open sin like that within our church. However, I would just caution you as we read this passage this morning to think about issues in your own life and the issues that may be going on in your own life as we consider those things. Because as the church in Corinth, they were feeding into this fleshly desire that they had to do whatever they felt like they needed to do to uh, do exactly what their flesh wanted to do. And I think that we as Americans uh, sometimes fall into that same category as well. Uh, so that leads us to our big idea of the passage this morning. Uh, for the big idea is the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's start reading in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you today. And we ask that as we look into your word, uh, I pray that you would help it just to make sense to us. As we think about as we are the church, 
I pray that you would help us to, as the church, as your people, uh, look at your word and what it says in your word and examine our lives up against your word. And I pray that you would help us to have a desire. I pray that you would help us to have the strength to uh, look at our lives, examine it to your word, and make any changes that we need to. I pray that uh, as we uh, walk through this life, that you would help us to be more like your son Jesus every single day. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. As we begin to look at this idea of uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it should really cause us to stop and to consider what that looked like, especially in regards to the Old Testament. Uh, And so that's exactly what the people in the Corinthian days would have thought about when they thought about the temple. When Paul looks at this church and says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, they knew what the temple was. They still had a temple that they went to. They saw the sacrifices that were offered at the temple. That's not something that is very, uh, does, might not make a whole lot of sense to us. So let's consider the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. This should take us all the way back to Exodus. Moses leading God's people out of Egypt to the land of Canaan. And on their journey, uh, God gave his people instructions on how to build a tabernacle. How to build a tabernacle. A tabernacle was a portable tent. This was something that they could take down. This is something that they could put up. This is a place that they would come to worship uh, Yahweh. This is something that they could take down and put up as they moved along. When they stopped at a certain place, they would set the tabernacle up. They would make sacrifices to the Lord. They would meet with the Lord. And this was a place that they would come to worship Yahweh. It was very important to the people of that day. Um, This also included as they would meet together the tent of meeting where God would meet with his people, uh, would meet with Moses. This would would also be called the tent of congregation. That's some terms that should connect us back to the the days that they would have a tabernacle. Many times throughout their time in the wilderness, Moses would come to the uh, and meet with God And the presence of God would fall down, would descend from heaven onto the tabernacle uh, in a cloud. And God would meet with his people. He would dwell with his people. He would tabernacle with his people. That's literally what it meant, to come and to dwell with his people. If you're reading through the Bible, uh, if you've started in Genesis, and maybe you're in Exodus already, uh, as we come to January the 22nd, you get some very detailed uh, description of the tabernacle. And God was very specific. This is how I want it done. This is how I want you to worship. The exact measurements. God took the place where he was going to dwell with his people. And he took it very seriously. He did not take it lightly. And we shouldn't either. Uh, we also see this in Leviticus. Okay? As God gave his people instructions on how to approach him in worship. Maybe you've already made it through Exodus, and you've made it to Leviticus, and you might, it might seem a little bit over the top, details on how you, were to, how you could come to worship God, details on the types of offerings that you could bring, what was clean, what was unclean, the manner in which you were to bring sacrifices, how they were to enter into the presence of a holy God. There was very detailed descriptions on those things. You can read about the high priest and how the high priest would 
come and make atonement for his own sins before that he could come and make atonement for the sins of the nation. And as he made sins of the atonement for the sins of the nation, he would take that blood into the Holy of Holies uh, to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of God. And so as you think about that, you know, tradition says, this is not in your Bible, but tradition says a lot of scholars agree upon this, that the high priest would tie bells on their cloak. And the high priest would also tie a rope around his ankle. And the other guys on the other side of the Holy of Holies would have that other end of that rope. That way, if the high priest did not enter into the presence of God the way that he was supposed to, in a manner that was not pleasing to the Lord, and he happened to drop over dead, they had a way of getting him out of there. Like I said, that's tradition. But I say that because God takes those who enter into his presence seriously. How he dwells with them. And you might think, Corey, that's kind of crazy. What What kind of God is that? Let me tell you, that is a God that is holy, holy, holy. And we are sinful, sinful, sinful. Yet, in his holiness, he has made a way to dwell with his people. He has made a way for us to be, to be with us. And so we see this also in Leviticus with Nadab and Abihu. Uh, they were uh, Aaron's sons. They did not uphold the Lord as holy or they took the way in which they approached the Lord um, lightly. And because of that, uh, we see that fire came from before the Lord and consumed them. And this is what Moses says to Aaron in Leviticus 10, chapter 3. He says, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So God does not take his meeting place lightly. God does not take the place in which his people meet with him lightly. He takes it very seriously. Lastly, when the people in Paul's day would have heard about the temple of the Holy Spirit, when he said that to them, ultimately it would make them think of the temple. Uh, So God allowed Solomon to construct a temple. When they heard this temple language, this is ultimately what they would have thought about. I say allowed Solomon to build the temple because David was the one who wanted to build God a house. Uh, But because of the warfare, because of the the, uh, David killing so many people within his life, uh, God instructed that Solomon was the one to build him a house. God wanted to make a house for the ark. He wanted to make a, a, a temple for, to be the footstool for God. Ultimately, he's like, I just want you to be with your people. But God instructed that Solomon was to build that. And this is a, like I said, this is an artistic rendition of what the temple uh, looked like, what it might have looked like in the days of King Solomon. Where God met with his people. This was a house. This was a temple. This was a place for people to come and to worship Yahweh. A place for God to be with his people. It was sacred and it was holy. And it was to be a place of worship. And that is what people in Paul's day would have thought about. When Paul says to them... You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They immediately would have been thinking about these things. And that kind of leads us to the main point of our passage this morning. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what does the verse that we read today teach us about being the church, about the church? 
Let me just start by saying this. Um, as I was studying for this passage, uh, it, it really weighed on me. And here's what I mean. Uh, as I was thinking about being the temple, I just want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to think about your life, the reason why you're alive, what you are doing with your life. Because I fell under a lot of conviction this week about what this verse was saying to me. Uh, because I really do think that we as Christ followers, we as Christians, I think we have this mindset that we can do whatever we want. A lot of Christians have the mindset of, you know what, I have, Jesus has paid for all of my sins, so I, if they're already paid for, I can do whatever I want. And I think that's a, a mindset of a lot of Christ followers. I can just do whatever I want. Um, and especially we as Americans, we feel like we have the right, we feel like we have the freedom to do what we want to do, to say what we want to say, to enjoy all the pleasures that this world has to offer. But as this text shows us this morning, we're going to see that that's just not true. So what does 1 Corinthians 6 need to teach us about being the church? First of all, the Holy Spirit dwells in each believer. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Paul begins here by making this statement, do you not know? And, you know, this is like someone trying to start a conversation with you and they start off by saying something like, oh, you haven't heard that, and then maybe they go into it. Now, when someone makes a statement to you like, oh, you haven't heard? First of all, you know they have something really good to tell you, right? You know they have something good to tell you. You know that they're going to tell you or they wouldn't have brought it up. You know that what they're going to tell you is good and you know that you're going to remember what they have to tell you because why else would you start it with, oh, you haven't heard? You're like, oh, well, now I want to know, right? And then sometimes they try to back off and you're like, no, 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 you can't say that. And they, No, you have to tell me. Paul does that several times here when he says, do you not know? He's trying to get them a, a point across that this is something that is a part of you. This is something that you should know. They're going to tell you exactly what it is. He's going to tell them why it is the way that it is. That's why he's led up with through all of chapter six, getting to this verse. Do you not know that you are the body of? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and as we think about that, I want you to seriously feel the weight of that statement. I want you to feel the weight of your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. As you consider the tabernacle, as you consider Leviticus, as you consider the temple... And all of those things that it meant for God to be with his people. And now Paul is bringing this new revelation that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, remember Nadab and Abihu and fire consuming them because they did not uphold the temple coming before the Lord as holy. They took it lightly and God consumed them. So you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, meaning the third person of the Trinity, 100% God, dwells within you. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And that you there uh, is talking about, is, is singular. It's not talking about you, the church. It's talking about you as an individual. You, the body, your body, singular, dwells, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But look at this next point. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers. Flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now, both of the yous used in this verse are plural, meaning you, the church, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in the individual person, but yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the church, or as we would say in Texas, y'all. Do you know that y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so what Paul is trying to get across to these believers is, listen, if you say that you are a follower of Jesus and that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and yet you are going to the temple of Aphrodite and you are doing these unholy things with the prostitutes in the temple, those two things should not be. How can you claim this and be the temple of the Holy Spirit and yet participate in this? Those two things don't go together. I want you to recall how Jesus reacted when he went to the temple and he saw the money changers. And he saw how people were not upholding the Father's house as holy. It's one of the only times in Scripture you will ever see Jesus become angry and he flips over the tables. That's how, that's kind of what he wants them to feel. The weight of you are the temple of the Holy Spirit versus what you're doing with your body. I want you to look one more time. Look at verse 17 right there in 1 Corinthians 3. I added this this morning because it was really good. Verse 17 says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You know, God is very, very specific in how people treat his holy temple. He's saying, listen, if people destroy you, I will destroy them. God does not take uh, the worship of his temple in his temple lightly. Ephesians 1 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In the moment that someone accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, says immediately, they are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says you're sealed with it. And so God does not take his meeting place lightly. Okay? And the next truth we need to understand is the temple does not belong to you. The temple does not belong to you. I take that straight from the text. You are not your own. This point really does fly in the face of us as Americans. Now, we like to take ownership of just about everything in our life. Um, we really don't like to give up ownership of anything. If we think it belongs to us, it's ours, right? Uh, I grew up in the 80s. So naturally, I'm a very uh, huge fan of rock bands. Uh, one particular rock band that I 
enjoyed in the 80s and still enjoy today is Bon Jovi. Okay, and Bon Jovi, I love Bon Jovi. Uh, but there was one particular song that he came out with called It's My Life. Now, for all of you vintage people in the room who may not know who Bon Jovi is, I also will point you to the song I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra, in which Bon Jovi will quote in his song, It's My Life. The chorus of the song says this, It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. And I just want to live while I'm alive. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. And I just want to live while I'm alive because it's my life. Bon Jovi, great musician. Uh, As you can see in that picture, he has really great hair. But he is a terrible theologian. Terrible. Because the truth is, it's not your life. It's not. The moment that we give our lives to Jesus, it's not ours anymore. It doesn't belong to us. I know we like to think that we're in charge of the decisions that we do, but according to this passage, you are not your own. God owns us. We have no right to do with our bodies as we wish, for they are not our own. Romans 14 says this, For if we live... We live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether you live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. We belong to God. But why? Because God bought the church with a price. God bought the church with a price. It says right there in verse 20, you were bought with a price. You were not free. Your life, when God purchased you, came at a cost. It's amazing some of the things that you come across when you prepare for a sermon. One of the things, I actually talked to one of our church members this week because I asked if you could actually sell your body once you were gone from this earth. And I actually did a little research. And according to Newsweek, uh, this is kind of funny, this is kind of Uh, Weird, but anyway, Uh, in a tech and science article from Newsweek, it says that you could get anywhere from three to six thousand dollars for your body so that you could be used in medical research, so that you could be a skeleton in a classroom in a college. So, college institutions, they will pay you for your body, and so you could actually, before you're gone, sell your body for anywhere three to six thousand. You're like, (laughs) my wife is an accountant. This article also says this, and I know her wheels are going to be moving after I say this. One estimate suggests that a single human body can generate $551,473, and this was about six or seven years ago, in revenue when parceled out or divided out. So, you know, my wife's going, oh, 551K, huh? Uh, Anyway, we'll go, go on from that. So why do I say that? Because God purchased you. You do not belong to yourself anymore. You are not your own. He purchased you with the blood of Jesus. He purchased you with the Son. Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross. And as the hymn goes, Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. We owe him everything. And when that happened... When we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, there was a change of ownership in our life. 
We are not our own. The Greek word literally means, the word bought there in Greek literally denotes a ransom. You were paid with with a cost. We sang about that ransom earlier when we said, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Jesus paid for you by the blood of his son, Jesus. Acts 20 says, Be careful, pay careful attention uh, to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so with all that knowledge of the church, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom we have from God. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, how are we to respond? Last point, we are to glorify God with our body, with your body. You are to glorify God with your body. Now, I don't want us to take uh, this passage out of context about being the church. You know, some people, when they read, uh, we are to glorify God with our bodies, they think that, okay, that means I should go work out more, I should run, I should have a perfect blood pressure of 120 over 80, and I'm just going to glorify God with my body. Uh, If that is what you're thinking of, uh, you're taking it out of context. Yes, we should be healthy. Yes, I think we should take care of our bodies because our bodies are the uh, temple of the Holy Spirit. But that is not what this passage is saying right here. So don't take that out of context. I think you've also heard sometimes in, in church, I know that I had a family member one time, literally had a conversation with a family member standing in church and we were having this conversation and they became angry about something that was said and they said, uh, they said a profanity in church, right? <gasps> And they said, and they immediately stopped and said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to curse in your house. Yes, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And regardless if you're standing in this building, regardless if you're standing in your home, regardless if you're sitting at Chili's at lunch, anything that you say, you are in the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, This passage wants us to worship God, to bring honor and glory to God. I remember one of the first sermons that Landon preached, and this has stuck with me uh, all of these years. When we worship God, it's anything that we think, say, or do that aspires worth to God. With our minds, anything we say with our lips, anything we do in action. All of those things bring honor and, and, and glory to God. Our bodies, they are not our own. They belong to God. And it's not for our own pleasure, but for God's pleasure. It's not for us to do what we want to do, but what God wants us to do. And when someone gives their lives to Jesus, they are the temple. Before you gave your lives to Jesus, you were no more than a shack. But now, when you give your life to Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many, that they may be saved. We're doing it all for the glory of God. And we want people to hear the gospel. We want people to hear about Jesus, that they may be saved. Last point I want to make. The main purpose of the church is not to reach people, but to glorify God. You know, this last year at Emmanuel was a very amazing year. Um, There was a lot of great things that happened. 
I've been at Emmanuel off and on for about 23 years now. And so uh, we gave more shoe boxes this year. When I think about Operation Christmas Child, we packed more shoe boxes this year than we ever had before. To send around the world for children around the world to be able to hear the gospel, to hear the truth about who Jesus is, and to respond accordingly. Uh, nourishing the nations that Pastor Chris uh, leads when they feed children in churches. They build homes for the needy. Uh, they equip pastors to teach the gospel in churches. They're starting new churches. Uh, all of these things to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we had a missions offering go this year of $80,000. And to think that we were just a few thousand dollars short of giving $100,000. So you gave above and beyond what we ask you to do as a church. Why? So that people could hear the news about Jesus Christ and come into his family. However, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, that is not your main purpose. Your main purpose is not to spread the gospel. It's a command. Landon made this exact point in his first sermon about the church. On this side of the cross... We have been sent to tell everyone about Jesus. And that's the truth. It's a command. Go make disciples. That includes going and telling. But that's not our main purpose as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your main purpose in this world is to bring honor and glory to God. And we see that in our vision statement in our church. Emmanuel literally means God with us. God coming to tabernacle with us. God coming to dwell with us. And we believe God has empowered us, the church, with his presence for, number one, his glory. Number two, the world. Number three, our city. Number four, us. But ultimately, we are created to bring honor and glory to God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. You know, some of you may be here this morning and you would say, you know, I've given my life to Jesus. Uh, but you would say, I've taken too much uh, control over what I'm doing with my body, what I'm doing inside of this temple. I've taken too much control. And some of you might need to just pray to God. Uh, as we end this morning, you may just need to pray and ask God to help you to give that control up so that you can start giving honor and glory to God the way that we are created to do. You may be convict convicted very specifically, and you can read uh, the passages leading up to this passage that we read this morning about some of the things that were taking place within the body. Some of you may be participating in things that we shouldn't be doing as the temple of the Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you, bring those things before the Lord. He will help you with those things. So... We need to do what honors God with our body. Some of you may be here this morning, you, you would say, you know what, Corey, I've never given my life to Jesus. I don't know what it means to be a Christian. I don't, I, but I want to know what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and if that's you this morning, after the service this morning, one of our pastors would love to talk to you 
We would love to introduce you to Jesus so that you could become a part of the family of God. Uh, so this morning, I'm just going to ask that you would respond. Uh, we're going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to continue in worship. So you stand, and I'll pray for us, and we'll continue in worship this morning.